This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark and also Hugh Sine. Our guest today on Music Buzz is Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and Grammy winner Matt Sorum. The Hollywood A-list drummer has played a pivotal role in some of music's most successful rock albums from the past 30 plus years, including for Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver, and The Cult, and more. Plus his role in all-star bands that he's helped formulate, including Camp Freddy, uh, Kings of Chaos as well as playing with many, many others, of which we'll talk about a little bit today. So welcome to the Music Buzz, Matt Sorum. Thank you. I've got my buzz on for the Music Buzz. It's a uh, nitro coffee. Get you rocking. I'm off, the, I'm off the hard stuff, but not this. Sounds like a nice morning beverage to me. Well, Matt, we're glad to have you here. I love it when we have other drummers. I've always enjoyed your playing. Recently, I hadn't seen the videos that are on your website until yesterday man just a bunch of cool things you've got going here the judgment day that you sing and play drums on killer tune man hollering there at the end too man it's like wow like roger daltrey kind of screaming yeah 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 dug deep yeah i mean great video slamming tune uh the two scantily clad dancers i really enjoyed them of course and the blonde on the motorcycle also, which then I realized, ah, that's your wife, right? That's right. That's correct. I did the video based on a movie that I loved back in the 70s, 1971. It was called Vanishing Point. It started Barry Newman. He drove a Challenger across the country. There was a DJ named Cleavon Little. You remember him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go watch the movie. It's killer. So he races his car. He bets his friend that he can't get this car from New York to California in two days. So he outruns the cop. So I called Billy Gibbons and I said, Billy, I got a part for you. I need you as a DJ in my video. He says, well, what am I doing? I said, I said, you're going to be like a spiritual guide guidance through this radio that I listen to in my car. The demon is my guy that I work out with here at the gym. I thought he looked like Danny Trejo on steroids. And I said, dude, you'll be my demon. And then the girls are dancers. My wife's a professional dancer. And the idea was two siren girls that would kind of learn me back to the dark side. Like the dark side was fun for a while, 
but I'm like, they're like, come back to us. And the demon's like, I need you back. And then I'm going towards the light. And my wife plays the angel on the motorcycle. There's a scene in the movie where Barry Newman looks out on the on this mirage and he sees this naked girl riding in a motorcycle. And they meet up. And I'm like, that's her. And Ace is like, well, can't do the nudity, but I'll do the. And then the kid at the end is is my inner child, basically. And I'm kind of trying to find my way, you know, back to, you know, the light, basically. And I do at the end of the, you know, I make it. Well, it's cool. And plus you got the guys from Velvet Revolver as the band. Yeah, well, the thing, the track had been around a little bit and I've always loved it. I say to a lot of people, there's a lot of great music sitting in digital hard drives out there. I've got recorded a lot of music and that song just stayed with me and I always loved it. I remember I tricked the band way back. I, I recorded that vocal and I gave him the song and said, hey, have you heard of this guy? We were looking for a singer after Scott Weiland left. And I sent it on a fake email because we were out there looking. You know, we had songs that guys could sing on and stuff. And they, and they said, hey, have you heard that guy? His name's like Charlie. And I'm like, oh, yeah, with the real gravelly voice. And it was me. <laughs> nice. Uh, I love Man, it. you went to great lengths to pull that off, didn't you? That's great. When Slash found out it was me, he's like, ah, oh, it was kind of okay. I, I kind of <laughs> like it. wasn't so good. Ah, of course, man. <laughs> was that vocal from before or did you redo the vocal? I left everything. I just, you know, the intent when I went in to sing it was right. Yeah. I didn't want to mess with it. Yeah. Seemed fine, man. It was great. Reverend Willie G, man. Billy, Billy's really great in that. Yeah, well, you know, that's his name. You know, he is a real reverend, you know. He's married people. He's got the license to marry. He married Joe Walsh. That's very cool. Ringo's wife, Marjorie and uh, Barbara are sisters and twins. Joe Walsh married Marjorie and Ringo's married to Barbara and Billy was the reverend. Very nice. Very cool. Billy and me, I don't know if you heard the record we did together last year called Hardware. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about three of those videos and songs, man. The She's on Fire, that's a great one. Great rock and groove from you. There's like a breakdown verse at the end and you do a different bass drum pattern in there. It's kind of a syncopated thing and it kind of caught me off guard. It's one of those things that drummers catch that yeah. we can appreciate that you had obviously thought about what you were doing. You planned that moment out, I'm sure. And very cool. It was a really nice touch in there. That's a good song, man. Yeah. Thank you. I'll tell you the story about that song. So during the pandemic, I called Billy like daily to see if he was okay because he'd been on the road for 51 years. He's been on a tour bus his whole life. And I call him, I go, Billy, how you doing, man? Are you okay? He goes, oh, man, I don't know what to do. I've been down to the store. I went to the Walmart. I said, you went to the Walmart? Be careful. I said, Billy, I got this place in the desert. It's 140 acres. Get out here. We're going to start recording a record. He said, really? You think so? I said, yeah, it'll just be three of us. We'll get checked. We'll be cool. We'll hang out. We won't leave. We went up here to Pioneer Town, about 30 minutes from Palm Springs. My friend has a ranch out there. Got Billy his own house. I was in a little guest house. We had a couple of Airstream trailers. And if you watch the video called West Coast Junkie, that garage where we shot the video is where we recorded the album. So Billy would go down to this taco stand every day and get mole enchiladas. He'd bring back like two troughs of mole enchiladas. Well, one day he comes back empty handed. I go, Billy, where are the mole enchiladas? He goes, She's on fire. And I'm like, what? The taco stand. She's on fire. 
the taco stand burned down. Oh, shit. <laughs> right then I said, wait, stop. What did you say? I said, I like that. Write that down. That's Don't worry great. about the taco stand burning across the street. Just write that down. Everybody <laughs> thinks it's about a chick, but it's about the taco stand. Uh, fast forward to the video shoot. Billy had a Hot Rod magazine. That was his 85 El Camino in the video. And then my buddy's online. He's like looking on Instagram and he sees this redheaded girl, the girl in the video on Instagram. I go, DM her. See if she'll come out and shoot the video. So my buddy, Harry Reese, came out. We shot three videos. We did all those videos for like $6,000. One can. We had a GoPro and we had a drone. We hooked up a GoPro camera to the drone. Drove the car up and down the street up here in the desert. Well, man, I remember when we did Don't Cry with Guns N' Roses, we had to rent helicopters. You know what I mean? I remember the days. Yeah. Times have changed. Now you got a 4K GoPro. So that's how we shot those videos. We did all that stuff on the cheap. The Desert High video you did the same period? All of them in about a week. Desert High. Very cool ride cymbal sound. Thank you. That was a one sizzle on a broken cymbal. And the drum kit was an old Tama, and it was owned by the drummer from Billy Joel, Liberty DeVito. And it was in the garage, and it sounded kind of like shit, <laughs> but I liked it. The idea of making the record was I wanted it to sound kind of garagey a little bit raw a great mixer named andy sheps mixed it so it's got like he took the garage level he's we used to be rick rubens guy and he he loved billy so everything we did we had to kind of work with the budget and when we did desert high we had just listened to bob dylan's spoken word about jfk oh murder so foul i was listening to it going oh my god this is intense and i said to billy i said have you ever done a spoken word kind of thing he's like well not really uh I talked a little bit in blue jean blues where he goes, she stole my blue jeans. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And I go, no, no, no. we're going to, we're going to write down everything that has to do with the desert. We're going to put it on a piece of paper. Like I read about David Bowie. He used to write lyrics where he would write words that he liked and he'd spread them out on a table, start pulling like that. We wrote cactus, eagle, hawk, you know, uh, snake, Graham Parsons. The Joshua Salton Sea, Lizard King. He goes, what's the Lizard King? I said, that's Jim Morrison. He goes, ah, I was never a Doors fan, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck it in there. Graham Parsons gave it all to Keith. Keith Richards loved Graham. He learned all that shit from Graham Parsons. The Flying Burrito Brothers were very influential on the Stones in that era, and that, especially with the nudie suit. We were just up there really feeling the desert vibes and that song, Desert High, came out great. Yeah, you captured the vibe of that Joshua Tree kind of a thing, man. You can't deny it when you're in that environment. And I felt like we lived in this on this ranch, and I always wanted to do that because I, you know, I understood great records that were made that way. Right. In residency. You know, when, when you think about the Stones, when they made Exile on Maid Street. In France, yeah. You know, they all lived together. One of the greatest records they ever made, in my opinion. Today, so many bands... Their first albums are when they are hanging out as buddies, pre-marriage, pre-children. They always have the freedom to go and hole up in a, a basement or a warehouse somewhere and actually write together. Now so many bands are flying their parts in and they're or they're rehearsing remotely and then they, they get together to throw it together in the studio. I think the magic happens when you can actually do it in real time from the writing through the rehearsal and the recording in the same space definitely feel that for sure the early records before they have too much success and too much money yeah man 
It's true. Speaking of success and money, I listened to the uh, Use Your Illusion Deluxe came out really recently. And I noticed the live stuff on there I listened to primarily over the weekend. Did you know that stuff was coming out as far as the live stuff and then the drum solo included on all that and everything? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I heard. Like, wow. The drum solo is a lot of double bass. Yeah, but, it, you know, it was cool. But I remember I remember having to do that because if you think about it, you know, I do different kind of solo if I would look back. But at the time, it was such a big venue. It was like we were playing stadiums, you know, and it's like, what are you going to do up there? What, something fancy? Like, what are you going to do? So I was just like, oh, yeah, man. Even in those days, there wasn't all the stuff they have in stadiums now as far as the big screens and whatnot. I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers this summer in a stadium and the screen was just taking up the entire floor, you know? So, I mean, those days didn't have that as much. They certainly had big screens, but not like they did. No, no, sure. we just didn't have the, the sound systems they have now. And Sometimes you got to bash people over the head. I was at the 1990 Farm Aid in Indianapolis right before you joined Guns N' Roses. It was when Stephen had come back and went out and he fell over the drum set. So I was actually one of the guys that witnessed that live. I was playing with Steve Earl that day, but it was like, wow, time they got somebody new, it looks like. Well, speaking of double bass drums, I had the privilege of typesetting your name on a project that you did with Neil, Burning for Buddy. That was an interesting project. Yeah, I did a double bass drum fill at the top. I went, I've a and I was like, hey, man, fuck it. Louis Belson had a double bass drum set. Who says I can't go? I met Louis Belson and I went up to him and I, before I was in any big band, I was a kid and he was so sweet to me. He was such a cool man. I don't know if you ever met him. Never got to meet Louis. Would have loved to. I said, Louis, do you think you're the first double bass drum player ever? He said, no, kid. It was probably some guy in Africa. He didn't take responsibility for it, right? I said, I think you're the, I think you're the guy. Yeah. Pre-Ginger Baker, right? Yeah. Way pre-Ginger Baker, back in the 50s. Tell us what the plan is for Kings of Chaos. I know, obviously, with the with the new song, but what's the plan? I know you're working on a like a full-length uh, record, yeah? Yeah, I just finished a recording studio here in the desert, 5,000 square feet. Got all my gear, got everything wired up, cut some tracks in there. I got something coming out separately from Kings of Chaos that I cut in there. Can you tell us what the album's called? Not yet. Celebrate good tops. Come on. No, that take that's taken. That's very catchy. I, I feel like I've heard that before, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Celebration, bucket list. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'll come. It was fun to work with you guys and work with you and work with Lil on that project for the Indy 500. For those that don't know what Kings of Chaos, kind of the roots of it. Can you explain that for people? I mean, I don't want to assume that everybody knows. It's super cool cool concept you have i'm the only member of the band i don't have to deal with any bandmates no i'm just kidding <laughs> i make all the decisions i'm the leader listen to me boys no <laughs> no i just call my friends and i offer them money to come play shows and they go let's go and i always have a good backstage writer if gilby wants to bottle a jameson whiskey i get it for him and he's like thanks man shit like that we just have fun i've been there done that it's like I don't want any drama. I don't want any bullshit. So I just fucking invite. Good for you. If that, somebody comes down, they're a dick. They don't get called again. <laughs> right on, It was man. fun to watch you guys. I talked to Ringo about that because Ringo, Ringo's got a band called, you know, luckily I know Ringo now. I talked to him like, it's kind of fucking weird, but talk on the phone. It's in the book, you know. But anyway, I tell him the name of the band. And I go, hey, I really love Ringo's All-Stars. You know, I got my own thing called Kings of Chaos. He goes, Kings of Chaos. 
Can it be kings of love? <laughs> kings of peace, kings of chaos. I kind of do the same thing as Richard. He invites his friends. He goes, if they're not nice, I didn't invite them back. I go, exactly. It was fun to watch you guys like be excited about when, uh, I think when you were um, doing sound check and John Waite came out on stage and you guys were playing some baby songs, you could you could just see you and everybody in the band just really enjoying it. That was cool to see. You know, you guys just kind of playing off each other and having a good time. So it's it's, it's a neat concept for, for anybody that hasn't seen them and can. It's a it's a cool experience. The record should shape kind of what the future is for the band, too. I mean, we're still going to go out and do whatever we do. Like the lineup always changes. Indy 500, we had a little bit more of an 80s flavor. Um, You know, I've done everything from Steven Tyler to Rod Zander to, of course, Gibbons and Billy Idol, Alice Cooper, all my heroes. And then. The album's going to hopefully include some younger guys too, younger, some women, you know, bringing the queens of chaos, but they're kings in my opinion, queens and kings. Got some really cool folks coming out at the end of the month. Going to hit it like December and then hit it really hard in January. Get in there and spend a month in there recording and get a lot of material under our belt. Release another song in February, March. Are these going to be all original tunes? Yeah. Are you writing everything of your, uh, by yourself? Is, are these your songs? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, a collaboration of guys. You know, I'm going to get in the room old school style. Like some guys are sending me riff ideas. Start that. Start with that. Just do it how we used to do it. There's a riff. There's a chorus. Do we need a bridge? No. Okay, next. I mean, rock and roll isn't brain surgery. It's like, let's get the good riff. What's the hook? Bridge. Tom Petty would say, if the bridge isn't good, don't do one. So if it's not good, it's just That's good advice. solo over the verse. Or an instrumental bridge. I'm getting a notice from Ken that you guys jumped here. So thank you for joining us, Matt. We really appreciate it. Best of luck down the road. Thanks for having me. 